So this morning's sermon is part three of a three-week breakdown of the foot-washing narrative as we continue plotting our way through the entirety of John's Gospel. Two weeks ago, we examined the love of Jesus for His own. And as I said then, Jesus loves His own in this passage by washing their feet. On the eve of His death, rather than withdrawing into a sullen, introspective mood, becoming preoccupied with His own practical needs and struggles, Jesus attends to the practical, temporal needs of His friends. Though it was really and truly beneath Him, though it was not His job, we see the astounding humility of Jesus to stoop to this task, to love the people around Him by performing this task, which really wasn't His job, which really and truly was beneath Him. On the eve of His death, when He he could be forgiven for being preoccupied with His own impending crucifixion, here is the love of Jesus, washing the feet of those around Him. Then last week, we studied the symbolism of the foot washing. Jesus makes it clear in verse 7 and in verse 10 that what He is doing for His disciples in washing their feet represents something else. It's not just a foot washing. Jesus' washing of His disciples' feet represents His spiritual washing of them. As their literal feet were dirty and needed someone to wash them, so their souls were dirty and they were in need of washing. And what Jesus is symbolizing, representing, by bending low at their feet and washing their dirty feet, what Jesus was symbolizing is that He came to wash filthy sinners. This is why He says to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. He wasn't just saying, look, Peter, your feet are nasty. If you don't wash, you can't sit at the table. It was more than that. It's because it represented something that Jesus says, Peter, you need to be washed. And I have come to bend low to wash you, to provide for you the washing that you need. You need to be washed by me, Peter. We saw that last week. That's what the full washing represented. This week... As promised, we are looking at the ethical implications of this incident. How should this story shape our lives? How are we to live differently as a result of learning about this incident? Jesus tells the disciples in verses 14, 15, and 17, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus isn't just showing them that He loves them, though He is doing that. And Jesus isn't just representing that they are dirty and need to be washed and that He came to do it, though it is that. Jesus is also saying there is ethical significance to what I have done to you. 
You need to now live differently. Having had your feet washed by your Lord and teacher, your life needs to look different now. You ought to be affected in your character, in your morality, in the way you live, in your ethics, by what has happened here tonight. So what exactly does Jesus expect? When he says, blessed are you if you do them, what exactly is it that he's referring to? Do what? When he says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you, what exactly is it that he wants the disciples to do? What are the ethical implications of this foot washing incident? This is the subject of this morning's sermon. Let's begin with an obvious question. Should we literally be washing one another's feet? I mean, that's, that would obviously be the most straightforward way to read it. Jesus says, look, I washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. If you know these things, blessed are you. If you... The first thing that should come to our mind when we think, well, what does Jesus mean? What does he want them to do? The first thing that should come to our mind is, does he mean literally washing one another's feet? Some Christians understand this incident to be an institution of another sacrament, like the Lord's Supper or baptism. They interpret Jesus' words very literally, that we are, as Christians, to make it a point to wash one another's feet, as Jesus washed ours, and that this is part of our religious worship, that it's something that we're to do time and again uh, in honor of the Lord and in response to what He has done for us. And so just as He instituted the Lord's Supper and said, do this in remembrance of me, some, some Christians believe that the foot washing is the same, and that it's a third sacrament for us Protestants, or eighth one for the Roman Catholics. Suffice it to say, though, that this is not the, this is not the majority position of the church throughout history. I'm not going to belabor this point. Um, there are a significant number of denominations who do practice such a thing, but it's not a majority position of the church, and it's not our position here at CRBC. But though I think that it's an error, I don't see it as an issue that's worth going to war with other Christians over. I don't think that this is a, this is a hill to die on in terms of disfellowship, disfellowshipping other brothers and sisters in Christ who just mistakenly think that they need to make it a point to literally wash one another's feet from time to time. It's a relatively harmless misunderstanding compared with holding heretical doctrines or tolerating open licentiousness and sin in the church. And you might say, well, the worship of Christ matters. It's a mistake about the worship of Christ. Well, that is true. That's why I say it's an error. But we have to have a, a gradation of how serious errors are. And so my, I don't think that it's the sort of thing that if brothers or sisters in another tradition believe in foot washing, that this is the end of the world. Suffice it to say, I don't, we don't believe that here at this church, and you, we can talk more about it, if you like, at Community Group on Wednesday. I'm not really inclined to quarrel with them about it or convince them otherwise. Though. The majority position of the church on this issue, which we would also take here at CRBC, is that it is not necessarily literal foot washing that Jesus commands, but rather humble service of one another. That being said, 
If your brother or sister in Christ has walked somewhere in open-toed shoes and has dusty feet, ought you not to be willing to wash his or her feet? See, what Jesus commands here might well entail at certain times and in certain instances washing another's feet. And if you would find that, listen carefully, if you would find it intolerable to wash another Christian's feet and would not stoop to do such a thing, then you do really need to wrestle with what Jesus literally did and his command to follow in his steps. We cannot say that Jesus' words are metaphorical for tasks that we do not find to be beneath us. We can't say that Jesus' words are metaphorical for tasks that we do not find gross. But if there is a task that we view to be beneath us, we say, well, it's just a metaphor. If there's a task that we find to be gross, we say, well, it's, it's figurative, you see. Jesus didn't literally mean foot washing. We can't escape from the obvious ethical implications of this passage by appealing to metaphor and symbolism. It is at the very point, it is at the very point where you encounter a dirty task which you are inclined to see as beneath you, which you are inclined to tell yourself, it's not my job. It is at that very point that Jesus speaks to you and says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. And so that may mean the personal bodily care of the elderly or the infirm. It might well include washing someone's feet, especially given this recent ashfall, a situation could easily have come up somewhere on the island where somebody needed some help and some assistance and some washing. And it ought not to be below Christians to stoop to such a task to serve one another. So the majority position of the church is that Jesus didn't necessarily mean foot washing. But foot washing is not beyond the scope of those things which would fall under the rubric of what Jesus enjoins upon us. We would view it as like potentially foot washing and much more. This humble service of brothers and sisters in Christ. If your brother then has dirty feet and needs someone to wash them, you ought to remember Jesus' words here and wrap the towel around your waist to serve. That would be a very basic and obvious application of this passage. If someone actually has dirty feet and actually needs someone to wash them, you should do it, Christian. You should step up or, or more like stoop down to do it, to serve. So do we literally need to wash one another's feet? Not necessarily, but maybe. As Scott Clark says, we do not live in first century Judea. Most of us have baths or showers in our homes. We do not walk everywhere, and most of us wear shoes. 
So here there's a few differences in context. There's very little practical need to wash one another's feet these days. But if someone should be in need, we ought to be willing to do it. And I think we, 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 we want to make sure we don't slide too quickly out from under that. Like, for example, if I said next Sunday we're going to have a foot washing service. You see what I mean? If your initial inclination is, nah, I'm not doing that. That's nasty. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's what I'm trying to press in belaboring this point about potentially foot washing. We're not doing that, by the way, so come next Sunday. <laughs> but, but didn't you notice what happened in your heart, though, when I said that? And that's the point that I'm making. It's not a third sacrament, but if there is a need to wash one another's feet, to humbly serve, right, to show love, to show care, then you ought to be, as a Christian, willing to stoop down to do that. Let's look now at broader applications of Jesus' example. If literally washing someone's feet if they need it is the bullseye of a dartboard, the most, the most specific and obvious application of this passage. Let's move outward from the center of the dartboard, looking at broader applications. And let's consider first what might be a close second to washing someone's feet in terms of related applications of this passage. And I think this would be probably a close second, very, very close to the bullseye of the dartboard. Cleaning up a mess. I heard a story of a church which had a well-known speaker come to preach at a conference that they were hosting. So maybe we could imagine our church hosting somebody like Paul Washer or John Piper or the, the late R.C. Sproul before he had passed. Or somebody, somebody important and big and well-known here in this little church, you know? And at this church, a kid spilled something, like let's just say some apple juice and Cheerios all over the floor of the church just before the meeting was about to begin. And the pastor heard about it and called for the deacon. And then the deacon heard about it and said that he had delegated building maintenance to someone else. And then the last person objected that he shouldn't have to clean it, but the parents of the kid who spilled it should have to clean it. It was a situation of something like this. I can't remember the exact details. But basically, everybody was trying to pass the buck, put the responsibility on someone else. And what happened next? The keynote speaker, whether it was Piper or Sproul or Washer, the keynote speaker stooped down to gather up the Cheerios in his hands. And he asked someone to bring him a mop. And when he finished picking up the Cheerios, he mopped up the apple juice. And everyone at the church was embarrassed. Because there was somebody everybody deemed to be very important, lowering himself to do what, what really was not his job. He would literally be the last one we would expect to clean up a mess. Everyone else would have likely viewed this job as being beneath him. But there they were, all saying, it's not my job. There they were saying, I'm not doing that. Someone else can do that. And refusing to lower themselves to do what needed to be done. 
Can you see the similarities between that story and the foot washing narrative? Isn't it, isn't it very, very, very similar to the foot washing narrative? So how does the foot washing narrative impact our lives ethically? As we come into the 21st century where we wear shoes and we have showers in our home. Maybe it's not washing feet, but maybe it's just picking up some Cheerios that a kid spilled. Mopping something up. This is why I say cleaning a mess is probably a close second to washing someone's feet in terms of obvious, specific applications. Now, of course, properly speaking, it would be more so under the diaconal portfolio than the pastoral portfolio to clean up a mess in the church or to see that a mess gets cleaned up. And the deacon may well have delegated to someone else in the aforementioned story. That may even be true, that he had arranged already with somebody to clean up such and such a mess. Perhaps there is a janitor in that church that we just talked about, and so everybody's looking for the janitor to... Perhaps the kid spills every week because his parents don't supervise properly, and the deacon has already spoken to the parents in previous weeks about taking responsibility for themselves by cleaning up future messes that their kid makes, etc., etc. There are a myriad of details that we just don't know about that aforementioned story. Whose job really is it? And what's the context? And all these details. But the main point is this. Whatever the details, they're kind of, they're, they're somewhat irrelevant. Whatever the details. If a pastor of a church or anyone else in the rest of the congregation is not willing to step up or stoop down to serve by cleaning up Cheerios and apple juice, there is something wrong. There are healthy, unhealthy, there are unhealthy heart dynamics at play when the first reaction that a Christian has to a need is, it's not my job. There is something unhealthy in the heart when a kid spills Cheerios and apple juice in a church and the pastor starts looking for someone else and they start looking for someone else in turn and they start looking and nobody will just clean up the apple juice and the Cheerios. There is something wrong when nobody is willing to lower. When the first reaction of the heart, when the knee-jerk reaction of the heart is, it's not my job. When the knee-jerk reaction of the heart is, that's gross. When the knee-jerk reaction of the heart is, I'm too important for that. That works too basic. There's something wrong when this is like the first inclination. This is what Jesus is getting at by saying, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. It's that heart dynamic which immediately reacts. That's what I mean by a knee-jerk reaction. That heart that immediately reacts is not my job. But that's gross. I'm not doing that. Or I have more important stuff to do. The heart that immediately goes there. It's to that heart that Jesus says, I have given you an example. 
that you should do just as I have done to you. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The first response of a Christian heart, listen carefully to this part. The first response of a Christian heart ought to be something like this. I am willing to serve. However low and menial the task might be, however gross the task might be, whoever's responsibility it may technically be, if there is a need for me to catch a ball that somebody else has dropped, I'm willing. The first response of the Christian heart should be something like that. When I was in Toronto before coming here in 2017, Many nights, Pastor Chris and I were the last ones out of the church building on a Sunday night. And before leaving the building, Chris was always diligent to check for the completion of all the cleaning duties assigned to the volunteers from the congregation that day. What did Chris do when he found out that no one had taken the garbage out? Or when he found out that no one had vacuumed the carpeted area? Or... Someone forgot to clean the toilets. What did Chris do? He stooped down to serve. Sometimes quite literally. Many nights I would find that tall man hunched over with a toilet brush, scrubbing out the toilets because somebody else had forgotten to do it. This is not the attitude of, that's not my job. That's a gross job. I'm a preacher of the word of God. I'm a man of God. See, that, that kind of attitude, somebody forgot to do it, it needs to be done, I'm willing to serve. Let me, let me step up or stoop down to serve. That is the kind of heart that Jesus wants his people to have. It is totally reasonable to set up a volunteer schedule. To share the load. It is totally reasonable to follow up with volunteers who dropped the ball. Hey, uh, I noticed that you forgot to clean the toilets on Sunday night. Don't worry about it. I took care of it. But if you could remember, next time you're on the schedule, it would be much appreciated. Totally reasonable. It is totally reasonable for Chris to ask one of the other men in the church or one of the deacons to close up so that he can duck out early from time to time. Totally reasonable. I'm not saying that you have to do everything all the time. But the point is that the hard dynamic when there is a need should not automatically be and first be. That's not my job. The hard dynamic should not automatically and first be that's below me. The automatic first response of our hearts ought to be, if there's a need, I'm willing to serve. That is the heart of service that Jesus wants his disciples to have. 
That is the heart of service that Jesus demonstrates here in the passage before us. Now, more broadly, can you think of other applications? There are plenty. I I would dare say that this is probably one of the most broadly applicable principles I could possibly preach on. Surely there has to be almost an infinite number of applications. Because literally it's like try to serve the people around you. So you see how many ways, if you start to get creative, that you could apply that in your life? Let's restrict ourselves merely to one for the sake of time and simplicity. Let's, let's think about the home. Wives, do you make time to love and to serve your husbands? Husbands, do you make time to love and to serve your wives? When the baby needs a new diaper, dads, you just call for mommy? That's nasty, I'm not doing that. It's a woman's job. Or do you roll up your sleeves and get it done? When your, wife is, when your wife is fatigued and there's a sink full of dishes, do you leave them for her in the morning? Not my job. Or again, do you roll up your sleeves and get it done? Back around to wives. When there is a sink full of dishes and you're tired, or the baby needs a diaper. Do you call for dad to step up? Or do you step up or stoop down to meet the need? You see, you see here kind of what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not saying it's a, it's a man's job to change diapers. And I'm not saying it's a woman's job to change diapers. What I'm saying is men, you should be thinking about serving your wives. And women, you should be thinking about serving your husbands. Or if you're a single person and you live with others in the household, it's the same applicable principle. Don't just act as if you rent a place all by yourself unless you do rent a place all by yourself. Right? If you live, if you live with others, if you live with others, consider them. Consider how you can serve them. And don't just always be like, not my job. Not my job. And it doesn't have to be specifically diapers or dishes or whatever, but you've got to think about how can I serve? You've got to check your own heart for that initial knee-jerk reaction. It's not my job. You've got to check your heart for that initial knee-jerk reaction. No, I'm not doing that. When that dynamic is in your heart, you need to hear Jesus speaking to you. I have given you an example that you should do for one another just as I have done for you. You need to hear the words of Jesus. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We could say, we could, we could envision situations where you're in someone else's home, perhaps as a guest. Let's say you go on vacation. You want to put your feet up, right? So you show up and you're like, yeah, you know, my cousin, my cousins are going to wash my feet for two weeks because I'm on vacation. 
right? And I'm going to go stay in their house. And they're going to cook and clean. And they're going to wash my feet. Right? Or would a more Christ-like attitude be like, even though I'm on vacation, how can I be a help here? How can I be of service here? Or if somebody washes your feet by showing hospitality to you and inviting you to their home, you're just like, yeah, thanks. You know, I appreciate the meal. Got to run. Right? Or, or can you wash their feet in return? Right? By helping, helping with the setup or the cleanup. Or you see, it's very, it's very, very practical. I'm literally just, I'm literally just scratching the surface. I honestly, I honestly don't know if there's like a more broadly applicable principle than this one in terms of just as a preacher, what I can touch on. <laughs> Your workplace, not my job. How many times have you heard that in the workplace? Not my job. Begin, begin noticing in yourself the heart dynamic that immediately springs up. That's the point. The, that immediate spring up. Not my job. I'm not doing that. That's nasty. That's below me. I have more important stuff to do. When that is your immediate reaction, you don't have a heart like Jesus. When that's your immediate reaction, you're not following in the example that Christ has left for you in John 13. Now, remember I said a few moments ago, there ought not to be a knee-jerk, not my job reaction among Christians. There ought not to be a, that's just too much to ask, knee-jerk reaction among Christians. The first response of a Christian heart ought to be, I am willing to serve, however low and menial and gross the task. Whoever's responsibility it may technically be, if there's a need for me to catch a ball that someone else has dropped, I'm willing. We're talking about first responses of the heart. Now, you may have decided in your home that the husband always takes out the garbage. Always, without exception. Or you may have decided that the wife always washes the dishes without exception. And you're both okay with that. Whatever. This is not a sermon about how to divide up your household responsibilities. Now, a husband may constantly forget to take out the garbage in such a situation. And the wife may make a conscious choice to leave a bag there in the kitchen until he notices and remembers in order to make her point memorable. The point is not really who does what, nor is the point that no one is ever held accountable for failing to follow through on their responsibilities. The point is not that you become enablers of all the lazy people around you by constantly and silently stepping in to meet every need that there is because they have dropped the ball on everything. That's not really the point. The point is the willingness to serve. And that initial heart response when there is a need. If we choose, after consideration, not to step up to meet a need, it should be a considered, deliberate, principled response as opposed to just a knee-jerk reaction against service. Let me say that one more time for those in the back. 
If we choose after consideration not to step up to meet a need, it should be a deliberate, considered, principled response as opposed to just a knee-jerk reaction against service. This leads us to a brief tangential consideration, which is the concept of boundaries. Boundaries are limits or demarcations around something. The boundary of your property, for example, which is a fence. The boundary of your body, which is your skin. A boundary defines where one thing stops and another thing starts. And it is okay to set boundaries around the sphere and extent of your service. Notice what Jesus did not teach us here. He did not teach us everything is your job. Nor is Jesus giving license to lazy people to abuse this principle of Christian service to make endless demands of you. Guilting you into serving them by telling you to be like Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't say no. You see? It is okay. Listen. It is okay after considering a thing to say in the end, that's not really my responsibility and I'm not willing to take that on. That's okay. It's okay after considering a thing to say, I can't take that on because I really don't think I can handle the extra demand that it will make upon my time and energy or something like that. It's okay to say, here's how far I can extend myself and I'm, I'm willing and able to extend myself and no further to set a boundary there. That is appropriate. So John 13 doesn't mean that others can make endless demands of you, guilting you into never-ending service. Nor does John 13 mean that you can never say no. We see Jesus in the Gospels not giving in to the whims and demands of the crowds on a regular basis. We see Jesus not ministering to and serving everyone everywhere. We see Jesus telling His disciples elsewhere to serve to a point and then to move on. This is not a sermon on boundaries, so I won't belabor the point. At some point, we'll probably come to something like that where we'll explore that at greater length. I just want to bring some practical balance to the message so as not to leave anyone susceptible to false guilt or abuse. But now back to the main point as we conclude. Christians ought to be people like Jesus who willingly serve. That's the principle to which there may be exceptions. We could never have demanded, Jesus, you come down from heaven and wash us. Both our dusty feet and our souls. It's your job. You see how blasphemous that sounds? Hey, I got dirty feet. I got sin. You ever heard people say it's God's job to forgive? Excuse me? It's God's job to forgive? Wow. How irreverent. And what a misunderstanding of the difference between what you are owed 
at what God graciously gives. By rights, Jesus could have truly said, it is not my job. By rights, Jesus could have looked at Adam and Eve in their fallen state and said, it's not my problem. Do you, do you realize there would be nothing unjust about that? That God, God could have said, that is beneath me. I'm not, I'm not stooping to serve the creation. There would be nothing unjust about that. But Jesus willingly crossed over a legitimate potential boundary to do something that really wasn't his job. Jesus crossed over a legitimate potential boundary to do something that really was beneath him. When he could have set boundaries, he chose not to and willingly chose to take on something that wasn't his job, that really was beneath him. Namely, to wash sinners. Jesus' blood washes us from all sin. He came to apply to us that cleansing flow, drawn from that fountain filled with blood, which though our sins were as scarlet, makes us white as snow. Jesus stooped to serve from eternal glory. Though it wasn't his job, though it was beneath him, though none of us could have demanded that he do it, he chose it to come here and to live a righteous life for us that he might clothe us with his righteousness. He came down to stoop at these disciples' dusty feet and to wash them and to tell them what you... What I'm doing now, you don't understand it, but you will one day. This represents something. And you're going to get it eventually. He came to do that and then to go from there to the cross. To do for their souls what He had done for their feet the night before. Namely, to wash them clean. Though they could make no rightful demand of Jesus to do it, Jesus willingly did it. And Jesus tells us here in John 13 to be like Him. No one can make demands of us to serve them that way. Just as we couldn't make demands of Jesus to serve us that way. No one can come to you and say, hey, lay down your life for me. No one can come to you and say, hey, wash my dusty feet. No one can come to you and say, you do what, what by rights is my responsibility. You do it for me. No one can come and make demands like that of you. No one can compel you to be like Jesus who did what he didn't have to do. No one can force you to lay down your life willingly for your friends. It's a contradiction in terms. And you're not doing any injustice by refusing these things. But having said that, Jesus here in John 13 
exhorts us to go beyond merely doing justice. As the prophet Micah said of old, what does God require of thee? But to do justice and to love mercy. Christians are not to be merely justice people. Well, listen, you do what you do. You take care of your own business. I'll take care of my own business. I won't do you wrong. You don't do me wrong. I won't defraud you. I'll take care of my responsibilities. I'll keep up my end of the deal. I'll do justice. We ought to do at least that. But the prophet Micah says, do justice, love mercy. And Jesus says, I have given you an example that you should follow in my steps. Just as I have done for you, so you ought to do for one another. So there ought to be many times when by rights it's someone else's responsibility. There ought to be many times in your life where by rights you don't have to do something for someone. It's not your job. There ought to be many times in your life where there's just a gross job that no one else wants to do and you say, hey, I'll step up. No problem, I'll take care of it. It ought to be normative that that is the response of your heart. There may be times when you do set a boundary, a considered principled boundary and say, you know, I think that I'm just gonna be enabling this person and harming them in the long run if I keep catching this drop ball. So I'm gonna stop catching this drop ball. But far more often than not, the normative pattern needs to be, I'm gonna be like my Lord and my teacher who washed my feet and told me to go do the same. Though it wasn't his job, though it was below him. You see, what I'm preaching at this morning is that first impulse of your heart. When a need arises, what happens first in your heart? Be honest with yourself. Do you, do you initially, is your first inclination to be like Jesus? And though it's below you, though it's not your job to grab the towel and to wrap it around your waist and to serve. Or is your first inclination not my job? That's below me. It's that very issue that Jesus is speaking to here in John chapter 13. So yes, boundaries are legitimate. Yes, justice is a thing. But don't let the concept of boundaries become more primary to your decision-making than conformity to Christ. On that great day, when Jesus returns and that last trumpet sounds, and you stand before the throne, will it be your boast? I have had healthy boundaries, Lord. Nobody walked on me. Nobody abused me. Nobody took advantage of me. You see, I insisted on justice in the way people deal with me. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather look like Jesus on that day? Say, Lord, by your grace, I'm not yet what I should be. 
But thank you that I'm not what I once was. And you're making me more like him. When all is said and done, would it, isn't that, a, ought that not to be more of a primary concern and a primary consideration? Yes, do justice, but also love mercy. Be like Jesus, who stooped to what was really and truly below him. Be like Jesus, who embraced a job that really wasn't his job. Plead with the Lord and, and meditate on these things until the first inclination of your heart is like the inclination of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. Pursue conformity to Christ with respect to that heart dynamic. That's the ethical implication of this foot washing heritage. After seeing Jesus' love for us, after seeing the symbolism of the foot washing, that it represented Jesus' washing of the souls of the disciples, this is the ethical bearing of this foot washing narrative upon us. Jesus has left us an example that we should follow. So let each one of us embrace this journey that the Lord has us on. No one can demand it of us, but let us try freely and willingly to become more like Christ, who freely and willingly served the people around him, laid himself down for his friends, stooping to wash both their feet and their souls. Let us, by God's grace, endeavor to be that kind of people. This is the ethical implications of the foot washing narrative.